the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy, featuring Josh Edison and M. Dentis. Hello and welcome to the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. I am approximately 75% of Josh Edison, accompanied by precisely 0% of Dr. M. Dentith. Dr. Dentith is once again overseas doing dentithy things. And so here I am putting in another another filler episode for you. Another one of those those weird fisto episto things show up. And unless you're talking about classic Masters of the Universe figures, I don't think there's any cause to be using using the word fisto anywhere. Sounds sounds a little bit suspect to me. But anyway, we they, they keep showing up in our feed. I'm not quite sure what the explanation is, but that's that's no, neither here nor there. M's not around, so I need to give you a little little filler episode. I say 75%, I'm not 100% well, so if my voice starts to go, uh, that's why. But what can you do? What you can do is do another filler episode, and for once, I have not gone to our little list of of possible episodes. I say our, Em's the one who's mostly put all of this stuff there, so I'm just kind of um, uh, uh, piggybacking off of their work, but uh, I didn't do that this time anyway. uh, No, even more lazily, I've just put together an episode inspired by current events. So let's play a little chime and get right into it. what current events would those be? Well, that would be the fact that Robert Hansen died in prison this week, aged 79. This isn't a, this isn't an Epstein kind of thing. No cause of death has been given, but it's believed to be natural causes. Again, 79 years old, not, a, not an unheard of age for a person to die in prison. But who was Robert Hansen? If you don't know, and I didn't until I um, saw people talking about this, Robert Hansen was an FBI agent who was convicted of selling secrets to Russia. All up, he got $1.4 million out of the Russians, and this was in the currency of the time, which was sort of the 80s and 90s, so that that, that amounts to a larger sum these days, I believe. Apparently got about $600,000 in cash and diamonds and another $800,000 placed in a bank account. According to Mr. Hansen, he was just in it for the money. Uh, there's no, he, he claims there's no no greater ideological motivation behind it. He didn't hate America. He wasn't a secret communist. He was just after the cash. Some of the agents who who worked with him, particular agents who worked on capturing capturing him, or on proving he was guilty and and getting him arrested, thought that there was possibly a an element of narcissism in play. Uh, one of the agents called Richard Garcia, who we'll get to later on in the piece, said of Robert Hansen, he felt he was God and he was going to be able to control the United States and Russia. So may- maybe maybe that was part of it. Maybe he liked imagining, you know, he's, he's this, this single individual playing off the two mightiest nations in the earth of uh, against each other, deceiving them. But I don't know. He, all, all, all we know for sure is he said it was just about the cash. He was arrested in 2001, so it must have made the news at the time, but I mean, I guess that's 22 years ago now, so I, I can be forgiven for having forgotten about it, and I'm sure you can too. He was fairly quickly convicted of 15 charges, 14 counts of espionage, and one count of conspiracy to commit espionage. So see, it's okay for me to be talking about him now. Um, He apparently pleaded guilty to all of those charges to avoid the death penalty and was instead sentenced to life in prison without parole, which he had been serving at a maximum security prison in Colorado until his death earlier this week. 
he was also a Catholic and a member of Opus Dei, which apparently, now I, I haven't read or seen the book or movie of The Da Vinci Code, but apparently he earned, uh, this earned him a mention in The Da Vinci Code when Opus Dei comes up. Apparently there, there is a section where they mention Robert Hansen as sort of one of the more, the more well-known at the time people connected to Opus Dei, and apparently he brought Opus Dei into some disrepute with his high treason and also deviant sex stuff, which are not actually related to the spy stuff, but, but, but I feel like we need to talk about that as well just because because it's fun. There's been a movie, there's actually been several movies about him, I believe, a couple sort of made-for-TV types, but then in 2007 there was the movie Breach, which was a, a, a bigger budget one, and that he's played by Chris Cooper. Uh, the movie also features Ryan Phillippe, Laura Linney, Gary Cole. It was a, a decent-sized one. It, um, as you'd expect from a more sort of Hollywood treatment of a, a real-life case, it does take some liberties with the facts, although apparently over the end credits, they do sort of, there, there is some sort of disclaimer or something where they say, you know, we change the details of some stuff because that's, that's, that's just what we do. So let's talk about the life and times of Robert Hansen. He started in the Chicago Police Department in, in internal affairs, I think, uh, but left the police to join the FBI. He became a special agent on the 12th of January 1976. Now, uh, friends of the podcast might recognise the 12th of January 1976 as the literal date of my birth, the day that I was being born, Robert Hansen was being sworn in to the FBI. Could that be coincidence? I guess it would have to be, but still, that's, uh, that's, that, that's an interesting thing to read when you're reading up on the guy. So, 76, he joins the FBI. 1979, he approached the GRU, which is the Soviet Military Intelligence. GRU stands for a bunch of Russian words that I don't know how to pronounce correctly, so I'll just stick with the acronym. And he offered, you know, basically said, hey, would you like to buy some American secrets? I, I, I'm in the FBI. I can sell you some. So in, in all of his communications, he used the alias Ramon Garcia and never, never directly revealed his identity to the Soviets, except for one time, perhaps, which we'll get to. I mean, I have to assume the Soviets would have, would have looked into this guy who's selling them secrets and probably knew who he was, perhaps, but... Um, if they did, we haven't seen direct evidence of that, as far as I'm aware. So he started selling stuff to the Soviets. Um, he provided them information about the FBI's bugging activities, where they'd been, where and who they had been bugging stuff. Uh, he also gave them lists of suspected Soviet intelligence agents. And his treason, I mean, I did this, this surely count, I mean, he wasn't charged specifically with treason, but this sounds like that's what it would count as. Well, it was was not without harm, you know. This this isn't this isn't just sticking it to the man or the government or what have you. His deeds came with a body count. In this earlier phase, he gave up a CIA informant by the name of Dmitry Polyakov. Now, it should be said that at this time. Uh, he was not the only person doing this. Um, in particular, there was a mole in the CIA, a man called, an agent called Aldrich Ames. And as we'll see, Ames often, he, he sort of he sort of stole um, Hansen's thunder a little bit. Some, uh, some of the information that Hansen leaked to the Soviets had already been leaked to the Soviets by Aldrich Ames, although this kind of, this worked out in his favour a little bit, because as we'll see, Ames was caught before he was, and at that point, People sort of thought they okay. Well, so, so we know the Soviets got this information because Ames leaked it to them, and then they weren't looking for someone else such as Hansen. Uh, but we'll see how that turns out shortly. 
And of course, Dmitry Polyakov was arrested back in, so in the, the USSR and executed. Uh, and this was not the, the, the last time that would happen. Uh, in 1981, Hansen was transferred to the FBI headquarters in Washington, and that, that put a stop to his treasoning for a little while, I assume simply because being, being right in the, the FBI headquarters, right in the heart of the FBI, probably made it a lot harder to get information out without getting caught. Uh, interesting, in, in, in one of several instances of irony that we'll be seeing, he ended up working on counterintelligence against the Soviets, which included basically evaluating people like him, but from the other side, when they had Soviet agents who had contacted the, the US saying, I'd like to leak Soviet secrets to you. He was one of the people who would sort of vet them to see if, if they were genuine leakers or if they were just double agents or I guess sort of disinformation agents selling them bogus secrets. Nevertheless, he was eventually was reassigned. He, he got moved around a bit. I assume that's fairly probably standard for agents in the FBI. But in 1985, he was transferred out of FBI headquarters and assigned to New York. And this gave him the opportunity he needed to to get up to his old tricks. He apparently sent an anonymous letter to the KGB, uh, basically once again saying, "Hey, I've got secrets. Give me money for them, please." In the initial letter, he gave up the names of three KGB double agents. Now, what he didn't know is that, again, all three of those had already been given up by Ames. Um, and indeed, two out of those three, a Valery Martinov and Sergei Motorin, were eventually executed. The third one, I think, was just imprisoned for a while, but was let out. In 1987... He was once again back in Washington, and in another spectacular display of irony, he was included in, in a, a group that was compiling a report on the search for the person who had betrayed those two ex executed agents. So he was, he was hunting for himself, which of course nobody knew but him. Interesting, I had to look it up, no way out which we've talked about on the podcast before and involves, uh, at one point, Kevin Costner being tasked with finding out who a, a suspected mole is, knowing full well that the person who they think is the mole is him. Uh, it turns out No Way Out came out in 1987, the same year that this was going on. So unless Hollywood's uh, moles were, were even better than, than the moles of the USA and the USSR, probably just a coincidence that those two things um, came out at the same time. Now, obviously, he, he was, was in, if not in charge of, then at least had influence over this report and so was able to make sure that it didn't include anything that might have incriminated him. Although being a good little leaker, he then, once the report was complete, leaked the report to the Soviets just to, you know, let them know what the US was doing while trying to hunt down their, their sources so he continued. He he just he, to this point on, he was he was just a leaking machine. Notable among his leaks were at one point he warned the Soviets that the FBI was investigating a Department of State official called Felix Bloch, who apparently was working with the Soviets. But because Hansen was able to warn them that the FBI was onto it, they cut off all communication with Bloch, which meant that the FBI was then no, you know, they, they had no more communications to intercept or whatever, weren't able to gather any more evidence on him at the time, and so the case at the time fell apart. 
He also told Soviets about the fact that when the Russian embassy was being constructed in Washington, the FBI had apparently secretly seen to it that a tunnel was was constructed underneath the embassy that would allow them to potentially eavesdrop on communications from inside it. Apparently, they never actually used the tunnel. I guess it seemed like it was a good idea at the time, but then once it was all up and running, they apparently they decided no, it would be too too easy for them to get caught using it. So it was there, but it was supposedly never used. But uh, he told the Russians about that. Now, 1991 rolled around, bringing with it the fall of the Soviet Union, and Hansen was was not without some justification worried that this could work out badly for him because the Soviet Union falls and there's all this sort of secret information that's potentially in the wind that could end up anywhere. He was a little bit concerned that maybe the information that he or, or information that would allow them that allow people to identify him as a mole in the FBI might find its way into the hands of, of, of people who would like that information. But it, it turns out it didn't, and the GRU, the, the, the various security services, sort of got a, got a hold of things in Russia fairly quickly, and so his secret was safe for a while. So in 1982, he went straight back to it. And this was... Um, this was the point where he, he started getting a little bit a little bit ballsy, a little bit less cautious than you would think a person committing multiple acts of treason would be. Apparently, in 1992, he just showed up at the Russian embassy. He just walked in carrying a bunch of classified documents in a bag with him, apparently, walked right up to um, an agent of the GRU and basically said, Hi, I'm the guy, you know me as Ramon Garcia. Um, I'm, a, I'm a disaffected FBI agent. Uh, would, you, would you like to buy some more secrets off me? Unfortunately for him, this particular GRU agent didn't know who Ramon Garcia was, didn't know that they had a mole who used that alias, and basically just said, what the hell are you talking about? Go away. And indeed, the Russians then complained to the US State Department, assuming that this had been some sort of a setup, that this guy shows up offering point blank to sell them secrets, surely either... The, you, it's just a setup to catch us buying state secrets, or it's disinformation, and he, the secrets he sell us, the secrets he would be selling us, would be nonsense or whatever. So the, the, the American authorities were informed that this random guy had shown up claiming to be an, an FBI. So he specifically he turned up in person, so the agent who he spoke to saw his face. He told the agent that he worked at the FBI. And yet that, that that did not end his spying career. The FBI never progressed the investigation to the point that they were able to identify. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe they thought that this guy was just some sort of a nutcase, maybe a prankster or a, you know, I, they obviously didn't take it seriously enough to, to try particularly hard to find out who this might have been because Hanson was never caught. And when I say never caught, he was never caught for that. Obviously, he was caught eventually. So let's look at that. Now, Aldrich Ames, the CIA mole, he would be arrested in 1994. And so at that point, as I say, they could blame a whole bunch of stuff on him, which meant that they weren't looking for someone like Hansen um, in connection to those particular leaks. But they couldn't blame everything on Ames. There were some US operations that they knew had been compromised, that they knew Ames couldn't have had anything to do with. So things like the uh, warning warning the Russians that they were investigating Felix Bloch. Apparently at the time Ames was stationed in another country or something and wouldn't have had any way of accessing information about that. And the tunnel under the embassy was done 
entirely by the FBI. So the CIA wouldn't have known anything about that one either. And Ames being a CIA agent wouldn't have known about that. So they knew Ames was a mole, but he couldn't have been their only mole. So they knew they had to keep looking for someone else. And so the FBI and the CIA started working together to look for someone. Now, for quite a while, it turns out they focused on the wrong man. In 1998, they hadn't been able to find any concrete evidence that would allow allow them to identify this mole, so they turned to criminal profiling, basically. Apparently, the FBI worked up a profile of who, what, what, what the Alika must be like, and based on that profile, they identified a CIA agent called Brian Kelly as the, as the person who they thought was the most likely leaker. Uh, but they were wrong, unfortunately for them, and unfortunately for Agent Kelly. So he was he was investigated thoroughly. They tried to to catch him out. Uh, apparently, at one point, they had someone show up on his doorstep, speaking in a foreign accent, and 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 say something along the lines of "They are wrong to us, comrade. You must flee country. Come meet me at train station tomorrow, or something." Uh, expecting that if he, you know, assuming that if he really was the mole and if he believed this, he would have to go on the run, and they would catch him when he did it. But obviously, he wasn't the mole, so he didn't go on the run. He instead talk to his superiors at the CIA and say, hey, this weird guy showed up on my doorstep acting like I'm some sort of a mole. What the hell's going on there? And But they, they, they still wouldn't be deterred. They'd, um, they hauled him and his entire family, including his children, in for interrogation and questioned them all, but were unable to uncover anything that proved he was the mole, because again, he wasn't. But he was still he was still sort of put on administrative leave and wouldn't be cleared until they found out who the real mole was, which of course we know was Robert Hansen. Now, there had been some suspicions within the FBI about Hansen being a possible mole for quite a while. He had done a few sort of sketchy things. Um, He, at one point, hacked into another agent's computer, stole a classified document off of it, and then printed that document out and handed it to the agent, basically saying, look, you, you, you thought you thought your computer was secure. Well, it's not. Look, see, I just stole this classified document from you, which, of course, he shouldn't shouldn't actually do, no matter what his intentions were. After the fact, people thought that possibly possibly what he was really up to was that he was checking this other agent's computer to see if there were any records of him, Hansen, being investigated by the FBI to make sure he was still in the clear, and then did the stealing a stealing a classified document, giving it back thing as a pretext for why he was in this guy's computer in the first place, you know, so he could just say, oh, look, see, I was just, I was testing your security and look, look, I found out you you, you aren't as secure as you thought you were. You're welcome. He was apparently, he was known as, he, he was sort of the computer guy in his area of the FBI. He'd been into, I think he started on sort of surveillance technologies and stuff like that, but he was relatively knowledgeable about computers at times when not many people were particularly knowledgeable about about the computers they were using. He uh, he got in trouble another time. His computer was impounded because there'd been signs of, of dodgy software on it, and sure enough, they found some password-cracking software on his computer, but he was able to talk his way out of that. His his story was that he just wanted to connect his computer to an office printer, but because you needed administrative privileges to install the printer stuff, which he didn't have, he had um, installed instead this password cracking software so he could crack the admin password on his own PC, which would allow him to install the printer. And apparently they bought that again. He was the computer guy, so I guess he could spin that convincingly enough that they'd, they'd uh, go along with him. 
But even as early as, as 1990, apparently his brother-in-law, who was also an FBI agent, had re- recommended to his superiors that Hansen be investigated as a possible mole after he sort of heard... I, I couldn't quite get this straight. He, he was Hansen's brother-in-law, so Hansen was married to his sister, and so, I thought I said his sister's sister which surely would be his brother-in-law's sister. I don't know. Anyway, someone told someone that they had seen a suspiciously large pile of cash in the Hanson household, and there had been other weird things he'd done. And so, so even back in 1990, his brother-in-law said, something might be up with this Hanson guy, but... In, in all of these cases, the higher-ups never actually took these suspicions seriously enough to investigate Hanson as a mole at all, until they did. So once again, ironically enough... Hansen was ultimately undone by a mole, by by one of his counterparts on the other side. So a Russian mole selling Russian secrets to the USA. A man called Alexander Sherbakov was paid a shitload of money by the FBI, $7 million, I think. I mean, g- given that Hansen only managed to amass $1.4 million over his whole spying career, that seems like a huge amount of money. In exchange for handing over a file on this Russian, uh, Russian informant who was referred to only as B., I'm not sure if that was the only thing they got for their $7 million or if it was just part of the stuff. Otherwise, that seems like a a good deal for Mr. Sherbakov. Incidentally, on on a side note, this does remind me of hearing people talking about uh, MKUltra, which we've mentioned more than once uh, on this podcast before, which was the CIA looking into basically mind control. Mind control via pharmaceuticals. They they had this project. They were desperate to find some sort of a well. Actually, they're, they're after a whole bunch of things, sort of your truth serums and and all sorts of stuff. But, but including, they wanted to find ways that they could uh, make, basically control people, could make people do what they want, either in a Manchurian candidate sort of programming thing, or simply inject people with stuff that would make them do whatever they wanted, when in fact you don't you, you, you don't need, uh, obviously none of this ever actually worked, they, they managed to destroy a few people's brains, uh, but never actually got them to, never actually developed a way that you could just stick someone with a needle and then turn them into your robot. Uh, and they needn't have bothered because we have had a way of making people do whatever you want all along. It's called giving them a shitload of money. Or if that fi- fails, tying them to a radiator and hitting them with a pipe. I mean, th- there are low-tech solutions to these sorts of things that work perfectly well. And this is one of those such cases. They gave the dude a ton of cash, and in exchange, they got a file on the mysterious B. Now, it didn't give Hansen's name. Again, it, I, 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 I assume the Russians must have known who they were dealing with. But if they did... They didn't say it in this particular file. However, the file, and when I say file, it wasn't just a bit of paper. It was a collection of all sorts of stuff, including an audio recording of a a phone call between Hansen and a KGB agent. And so listening over this, some of the FBI agents were like, oh, that... That voice, that really sounds familiar, but ah, I just, I just cannot put my finger on it. I'm sure I know that voice. Fortunately, there was, there was other information to be gleaned. They, they found other notes which had uh, written records of conversations with Hansen and noticed that at one point, this mysterious mole had used the phrase, had referred to the purple-pissing Japanese. I, I don't even know what that means. I assume it's it's not complimentary, though. Apparently it's a quote. Apparently General Patton used to refer to the purple-pissing Japanese. What does it mean? If you're pissing purple, I mean, you're surely you're not well. I can't think of anything that would make you... But I, I don't know. 
The point is, it's a quote from General Patton that Hanson had been known to use himself. And so people are like, oh, that, 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 isn't that the thing that, that, that Hanson guy is always saying? And so then at that point, they took the guys who the voice sounded familiar to, played the tape again and said, hey, is this Robert Hanson? And then they listened to it, yes, yes, that, that's who I was thinking of. That's, that, that's bloody Robert Hanson, it is. And that's basically how they identified him. So I guess the moral there is, if you're going to betray your country, don't be racist at the same time. Or at least don't be identifiably racist, I suppose. Uh, and then uh, on further investigation, they also, they had managed to get their hands on, I don't know if that was included in this material that had been given to them by their mole, but they had managed to get their hands on one of the rubbish bags that Hanson had used for a dead drop. This was the way he would actually deliver this documentation to the Russians. This was all, this was all, I mean... It, it, it finished in 2001, so most of the time it was done when the internet was not much of a thing. So this was all this was all documentation being physically delivered to people, and he just used good old-fashioned dead drops. He'd wrap stuff up in a plastic rubbish bag and sellotape it to the the bottom of a park bench or the underside of a bridge or something like that, and and send coded messages to his handlers to tell them when and where he was going to be dropping it. So they had one of these bags that he used, and they were able to get fingerprints of it, and then comparing them to Robert Hanson fingerprints, which obviously I'm sure when you're an FBI agent, your fingerprints would have to be on file. So they had a match there. So by November 2000, the FBI, the, the, the FBI had their man at this point. They knew that Hanson was the mole, but they wanted 100% concrete proof. In particular, I think they really wanted to catch him in the act so that they, they, they wanted to be, they wanted to be absolutely sure that when they got him, A, he knew they got him. You know, he, he knew that there was absolutely no no way he was getting out of it, and he, they, they wanted to be able to get him and, and hold him immediately because, of course, the worry was that if they arrested him or charged him and, and they didn't have enough evidence to sort of hold, keep him in custody or anything like that immediately, there was always the chance that out of spite or you know, reprisal or whatever, he might just, just go and dump all of the information he had been hoarding at that point to the Soviets just just to piss them off, just because. And of course, as we've seen, the, the information he had already leaked to the Soviets had resulted in deaths previously, so that you know it would not be a safe thing to do that. So they they were really really wanted to make sure they had absolutely nailed this guy to the wall. So what happened was Hansen was reassigned once again, not particularly suspicious, as we say, that it happens to them all the time. He was put in a position where he would be supervising the FBI computer security. Uh, and this was under Richard Garcia, the man I mentioned at the start who thought that Robert Hansen thought he was God. Robert, uh, Richard Garcia was one of the few people in this office who knew that the whole thing was was a setup that you know, obviously you know he, he was doing genuine work supervising computer security, but the real reason why he was there was so that they could watch him like a hawk and try to try to find proof, find find one hundred percent proof that he was doing the things he was doing. So he was put in an office which was bugged, and he was given an assistant who he became sort of something of a mentor to a young agent whose real job was to monitor him the whole time. So Richard Garcia knew what was going on. This this assistant knew what the real deal was. But most of the other people working in this office, didn't, even they didn't actually know that the real reason this thing had been set up was specifically to catch Robert Hudson. So this assistant, 26-year-old Eric O'Neill, played by Ryan Philippi in the movie Breach. And from what I understand, I haven't seen Breach, but I just read a... Read a 
synopsis of it. Apparently, it's it's mostly from this guy Eric O'Neill's perspective. It's sort of I guess they figured the the interesting story was this young young up and coming FBI agent finding out that he's been assigned to take down one of the worst leaks the FBI's ever had, uh, and that's what he did essentially. Um, he, he figured out that Hansen was storing a lot of this this information that he would be. Um, sending to the Russians on a uh, a PDA for our younger listeners, PDA, portable data, actually is it portable data assistant or personal data assistant? I don't actually know, but whatever it is, they were what people had before they had smartphones, essentially, a little handheld device that you could store information on. He had a, a Palm 3, apparently, and so they knew that the information they were looking for could be found on this device, and eventually he was able to separate it from Hansen for long enough for the FBI experts to grab it, download all the information they could off of it, and get it back to him before he suspected. Now, Hansen, he was starting to suspect that something might have been up. He had been questioning, I think, when talking to his handlers he had sort of questioned why he'd been moved into what he referred to as a do-nothing job. It certainly doesn't seem as exciting as, you know, hunting for hunting for double agents or vetting, vetting potential, you know, Soviet counterintelligence stuff. So he wondered, you know, why, why, why would they have put me in this position? Could it be because they want me somewhere where I'll have less access to secrets or something? Are they on to me? He also believed that he, his car might have been bugged. He, uh, he had said to people that he'd, he'd heard weird interference on his car radio, which he thought might have been caused by a listening device that had been planted in his car. So he was having suspicions, but much like his FBI superiors before him, he didn't, didn't really act on those suspicions until it was a bit late. He certainly didn't stop doing what he'd been doing. So on February the 18th, 2001, he made one of his dead drops at a park in Virginia. He taped a bag of documents under a park bench like he normally did. But this time, the FBI was following him. So as soon as he made his drop, they pounced and arrested him on the spot. And apparently when they picked him up, he just said, what took you so long? So maybe, I mean, maybe that was just bravado, but maybe it does show, you know, he, he, he'd he known for a while that the jig was up, that there was no way he was not getting caught. But also, if, if, if he knew that, there's no, no point stopping doing it anyway. He already knows that, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe, maybe he really was that sort of narcissistic and self-confident that he really did still think he had them beat right up to the very end. I don't know. But uh, that's the story of how they caught Robert Hansen. So like I say, he was arrested, he was charged, he pled guilty on all charges, he was put in prison, he died this Tuesday. And that's the story of Robert Hansen. Uh, apart from the weird sex stuff, which I did promise, I suppose, didn't I? So apparently he was also into dodgy sex stuff, which... While it had nothing to do with his selling uh, secrets to the Soviets, it was a little bit conspiratorial, so I think I'm justified in talking about it now. Because apparently, Mr. Hansen liked it when other people watched him having sex. Uh, he cooked up, and this was all at his behest, apparently. He invited a friend of his to watch him and his wife having sex without the consent or knowledge of his wife. I should point out. Essentially, it was it was as simple as getting his mate to peek peep through the window at him and his wife, and this apparently um, escalated to him eventually installing uh, installing hidden cameras in his own bedroom and setting up a closed circuit TV system so that they could he could have his friend over as a guest, and his friend could watch from the guest bedroom Mr. Hansen and his wife having sex once again without the knowledge or consent of his wife. 
so that's what Robert Hansen was into, which which I guess possibly feeds into the the possible the uh, the suggestion of narcissism on his part. I mean, what you'd think that that to want to in, to specifically go out of your way to invite someone else to watch you having sex, you must have a fairly high opinion of what you look like while you're having sex. You would have thought he'd also been uh, known he'd been hanging around with with strippers. I think there's one stripper in particular that he'd been giving gifts and stuff. Although he claims he claims he never had sex with her or anything, and and would later claim that I think he was trying to convert her to Catholicism, uh, a fallen woman or something. I don't even know. I suppose I suppose it is interesting to point out that I believe in the movie Breach. That the way they run the story is that Eric O'Neill is told he's he's being assigned to to act as the assistant to Robert Hansen, who they're they're investigating for some sort of sexual deviancy on becoming of an FBI officer, uh, FBI agent, and eventually sort of what, once he starts to question this and says yeah this what, what, that, that 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 seems like nonsense what's really going on he's then eventually told. Actually, no. We, we, that, yeah, that was the cover story. Um, what we're really after, we think he's a. We, well, we know he's a, a Russian double agent, so we want to get information on that. Now, apparently, that is one of the things the movie made up. Apparently, Eric O'Neill did know right from the start that he was he was to be investigating Hansen for leaking information to the Russians. But um, but at least I I, I guess the, I guess they like I decided that you really had to find some way of getting the dodgy sex stuff into your production about Robert Hansen. And so they did, and so I did. And so now you know. And that is the story of Robert Hansen. May he rest in peace, I guess? I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's quite a few people who are quite happy that he's dead. He um, does not seem to have been a particularly good person. And that's all I really have to say for this week. So once again... I, I believe M is still in transit. I don't know if they're exact travel plans, but I'm pretty sure they're back next week. So I think next week we'll be back to normal. But if not, it'll be more filler for me. Or more, more filler from me, for you. However that works out. You know what I mean. So my, my voice seems to have held more or less throughout the recording of this episode. So I'm not going to tax it any further. I'm just going to sign off for a week and say to all of you, each and every one, goodbye. The podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy stars Josh Addison and myself, Associate Professor M.R.X. Denter. Our show's consp- Sorry. Producers are Tom and Philip, plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com, and please do consider joining our Patreon. And remember, keep watching the skis.